Well, the Lord was good and faithful to me because I couldn't find where I set my Bible and my computer (laughs) until right when we went into that second chorus. We went in there and and I saw it right back there and I was like, my Bible, my computer, yes! So I was going to have to preach just from memory and from my phone and Anyway, I think it's so funny we're in a generation that preaching from your phone means you're reading your Bible on your phone. But everyone knows that in the room, you know, but anyway. If you haven't heard my joke about, you know, those that read their true Bible, their their paper Bible, they're not phony Christians. So bad. I know. You got to keep it alive, though. There's a few in the room who haven't heard it. So you just got to keep that alive. Oh. What a sweet time of, of worship. I'm excited to dive into the word today. 1 Corinthians 12, we're making our way through. Uh, just one announcement before I dive in. We're actually going to, um, we're going to finish up the book of 1 Corinthians at the end of June. So we've started at chapter 1 probably six months ago. Has it been about six months? And we've made our way all the way to, uh, to chapter 12, and we're going to finish up with chapters 15 and 16 at the end of June. And then in July, we're actually going to not have our Wednesday night services. We're going to take off the month of July and regroup and reboot a little bit, and then we're going to get started back in August. So you can kind of put that in your calendar. Um, we will have our... Will we have our meal... I will get back to you. I think we'll still have our meal on Wednesday night. We just won't have our service. And um, the youth will still have service on Wednesday night. So put that in your calendar. We'll we'll give more details on that as it gets closer. So JR did a wonderful job last week of 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. How many of you guys enjoyed that? He's not in the room, but... We need to say that we did if we enjoyed it. I'm just playing. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, that was last week. And we're going to pick back up with 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And we're going to just see how far we get. I think we're going to get to the end of the chapter. Um, I love this chapter. I love the truths that are in it. I love how it leads up to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to hit 1 Corinthians 13 next week, speaking on the most excellent way, the way of love. Uh, It's a gift every time we get to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and thinking of the love that God has for us and the love we're called to demonstrate toward Him and, and toward others and that love never fails. The choice of love will always have eternal implications for our life that the Lord will reward and remember forever. Love never fails. But that's next week. I don't want to preach that this week. All right, so let's pray and let's open the word. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, we're just going to start with verse 12. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the revelation of your word. I thank you that though the grass withers and the flower fades... Isaiah 40, the word of the Lord, it stands forever. I thank you that the plans and the purposes in your word will never fail. I thank you that when we study them and when we set our hearts 
to meditate on them. We are meditating on the rock, the truth, the firm foundation. Jesus, I ask you for grace, that Matthew 7 grace, that we would build our life on your word, that we would build our life on your teachings. The teachings you spoke through your prophets, the testimony of you leading your people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Lord. Let us build our life on your word, that when the storms of life come, we're standing on the rock. And Lord, those that find themselves tonight in the storms of life, those that find themselves tonight in that, in that fresh storm that has hit, Lord, I pray for grace to stand on your word, for grace to cling to your word, for grace to run to you in prayer and with fasting, for grace to press in once again in the storm. And those that find yourself in a season of peace, I pray for grace to preach your word with boldness. That we would actually take that season of peace and, and use it to bring others into the kingdom in Jesus' name and to comfort others in the storm. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen. First Corinthians chapter 12. So I've titled this Diversity Within Unity. In the church of Corinth, what we have, a lot of people coming together. We have Jew, we have Greek, we have slave, we have free. Those were the main kind of religious divisions, the, the pagan and the, and the Jew. And they were coming together and they were meeting one another under and in Christ. And then you also had the, the social context of slave and free. And Paul speaks to this very clearly in chapter 7. And then we've already gone through that in some ways. But there was a diverse body of Christ in Corinth. There were, and then Paul uses the analogy of the body to explain it. Just like there's many members of our body, and it's diverse, in one way it's diverse, but in another way it all works together and it's all one body. And so Paul kind of gives permission to be diverse and to be ourselves in the Lord. And then he also gives us command to be one in the Lord and to not let our diversity be the focus and to not get kind of one-sided in the church. He's going from spiritual gifts. So he actually has that in his mind for the church of Corinth. Corinth had gone real heavy on the side of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And they had kind of like, focused on this one spiritual gifting. And Paul, as a father, is saying, guys, it's not all about tongues. And he's going to address it here in chapter 12, and he's also going to address it in chapter 14 that we'll get in in a few weeks. And I'm so grateful for these chapters because it's an apostle of the Lord, one of the most influential apostles of that day, if not the most influential, with his letters and his writings to the church after he died. But we have Paul, with the wisdom the Holy Spirit has given him, speaking to a church that's kind of going one-sided. Like, it's all about this. How many of you guys have, and we all are guilty of this to a measure, but you've been a part of a body or you've been a part of a congregation where it is all about 
this one thing. And it's kind of to the detriment of everything else in the body of Christ. Now, different bodies, different leaders, different pastors, they have, the Lord anoints us in a certain like lane, I would say. And we tend to stay in our lane, and I think that's good. But what's bad is to stay in our lane and then to say every other thing is unimportant. This is the one thing in the body of Christ that's important, right? I mean, whether it's teaching or prophecy or the apostolic ministry or evangelism, we're all built and kind of like pointed one way. And that's fine. The Lord says we need that gift in the body of Christ. We need prophecy. We need teaching. We need the gift of tongues. We need the interpretation of tongues. We need the working of miracles. We need healings. We need it all. But as we operate in the giftings the Lord has given us, we also need to bless every other gifting that's operating in the body of Christ, right? It's the full picture of the body. So we're going to get into that. So it's diversity within unity. I wrote down, there is a need for diversity in unity. Now, when I say unity, I do not mean, again, I do not mean uniformity. I do not mean everyone doing the same thing or being the same person. But within the way God has created us, we come together under the leadership of one man, Jesus Christ. Paul lays out this argument in three parts in these verses that we get into. In verses 12 through 14, I'll just read it. He says, for just... As the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So here in these first set of verses, Paul presents the idea that everything is going to flow from this analogy of the body is one and it has many parts. In verses, you don't have to go there yet, but in verses 15 through 20, after this, he's going to talk about the diversity of the body of Christ. And then in verses 21 through 26, he's going to talk about the unity of the body of Christ. And then he's going to wrap it up and say, but guys, this all works and the cartilage and the the, the oil and what's bringing this whole thing together, he says, is love. He says, you're diverse, but the way you operate with one another is in a spirit of love. And then that takes us to chapter 13. So, we're going to go through this verse by verse. Is that okay? Verse 12. Thank you, Gary. Sure. If it's not okay, I'm sure Andrew's preaching something great in, uh, to the youth over there. You can go over there if you want to. I'm just play. <laughs> Verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. Again, I think it's important as we think of this to put it in the context that he just led them through the manifestations of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. And I think that's still on Paul's mind. It's the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit that are being made manifest in the church that he is saying, we need them all. And guys, I tell you, we need them all. 
we are in a season right now where the Lord has spoken to our, our congregation about bringing in the harvest. Evangelists, those with the gift of evangelism on their life, we need you to rise up and lead the rest of us in evangelism. How many of you need a little leadership in evangelism? You'd like a little encouragement. You'd like a little, hey, this is how to do it. Here's some testimony of what's going on. This is a a season in our church where the Lord's highlighting the harvest, and therefore the Lord's highlighting the gifting of evangelism. How terrible would it be for the Lord to highlight the harvest and then the pro- those that are strong in the prophetic and strong in teaching to try to go out and, and do it all? That wouldn't be the smartest decision, would it? So we need the, all the gifts of the Spirit working in the church. I think of it like this. The Holy Spirit is within me. But when the Holy Spirit manifests He is put on display. It's the spirit within me that's put on display. And then Christ is glorified. But is the Holy Spirit always manifesting through me? Is he always visible? No, not always. But when I step into my spiritual gifting and when I prophesy and when I teach and when I I am operating in the way the Lord's called me to operate and the way he's gifted me to operate, the Holy Spirit is seen And Jesus is glorified. And so, I think of it as an athlete. Like, I feel like the Lord's body, he'd like to have an athletic body. Wouldn't you you say so? Like, if we can give the Lord anything, we want to exercise our giftings, and we want his body to look good, right? I don't think the Lord wants like a, a slow, lethargic, lazy body. I think he wants an active, and when I think of like an active body, I think of the body of an athlete. And you see that manifestation of power in their muscles when they lift that thing and pick it up. You see that muscle flex. Or when they sprint, you see those quads and and they're working, you know. I think that's what the Lord wants from us. I think he wants his body exercising those spiritual giftings and, and looking good in the earth for him. Amen? Okay, that was a bad analogy, but you guys can laugh a little bit. So I just want to encourage us in this season and as we go through this to think about the spiritual giftings that we walk in and desire the ones that we're not walking in right now, but we have that leading and that that pull. I want to learn how to prophesy in this season. I think we can... I think the Holy Spirit gives us some certain desires. They rise up in our heart. And if we find them in the Word of God, we have permission to pursue them. Amen? If we find them in another person in the Word of God, we have permission to pursue them. If Peter, in Acts 2, preaching the gospel with boldness, is moving your heart in this season, begin to ask the Lord, use me to preach your gospel with boldness. And begin to set a game plan and a trajectory to learn how to preach the gospel. I just find different things being pulled out of me as I dig into the word. Oh, we were in, this, we were in prayer this morning. And I was asking the Lord to give me a greater authority in prayer. And then Mike, he turned his Bible to 2 Kings chapter 18. And he starts to read about Elisha, Elijah. And Elijah has just called down fire on Mount Carmel. 
He's killed prophets of Baal and Asherah. And then he says, the time for rain has come. And he sees the cloud, the signs. He begins to pray for rain. And he sends his servant up. And his servant says, there's a cloud. But it's just the size of a man's hand. And Elijah goes, that's my promise. And he goes seven more times. And he prays and he prays and he prays until the rains come. And it hadn't rained. It says on the earth in the book of James. It hadn't rained on the earth for three years. Is it three years or three and a half years? Three and a half. Three and a half years. Three and a half years it had not rained on the earth. And James says this, which is incredible to me. He says, Elijah is a man, was a man, just like you and I. You know what that means to me? That Elijah wasn't perfect. That he had some really good days, but he had more really bad days. (laughs) And it says he was a man with a nature like me. He had to say no to the lust of the eyes, to the lust of the flesh, to the pride of life, to that John 1 list that we're given. He had to say no to the love of the world, even as a prophet of God. He was tempted like I was, but it says this, but he prayed. And I was asking the Lord, okay, here's Elijah. I think you're giving me permission to pray and to ask for more authority in prayer. I want what you gave Elijah. I want you to hear my prayer the way that you heard Elijah's prayer. Guys, the word of God gives us that permission. Now, I don't know about praying and it not raining for three and a half years. I probably don't want that. (laughs) But I want more authority in prayer. And And as I go after that and you go after the leadings that are in your heart, the body of Christ is strengthened. Amen? The only way the body of Christ is not strengthened is if we're lethargic and apathetic in pursuing what the Lord has called us to pursue, in pursuing relationship with him, in pursuing our calling with him. We're in a season right now, just personally, I'll just tell you this, Rachel and I, we're, we're really praying about our next season of reaching out to the orphan. This orphan ministry has, has always been on our heart. We almost moved to Africa and helped run orphanages and it's all, there's always been a part of our life that's been about the poor and the orphan. We adopted two girls from Ethiopia, my beautiful Ethiopian daughters. They just got signed, and they're going to play college soccer, and they got some wonderful scholarships. And to see them go from 9 to 18, and in this, oh, it's just, it's such a fun season. But the Lord's laying on my wife's heart this ministry of adoption. I mean, it's just bubbling up inside of her. And she's submitting it to me, and she's going, I, I feel like, the Lord has something for us, again, about adoption, again, about foster care, again. And I'm like, Rachel, this is the Holy Spirit working on your life. We need this. Our family needs this. I need this. Our, our body needs this. We need that example of you pursuing what God has called you to pursue in this season. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't, know, I don't know when. But that's the dialogue right now that's happening in the Meyer home. And it's us going, we got to go after this. Not just for the Lord's glory in the Meyer family, for the Lord's glory in the body of Christ. Because if Rachel pursues that, that's going to encourage someone else in this room to go, well, the Lord's laying this on my heart. And you know what? If Rachel, as weak and as broken as she is, can do it, I can do it too. 
We're not here to be supermen in the kingdom of God. We're here to be, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And if we're honest with one another, with one another we know that we're not supermen all the time, right? But he prayed and the heavens shut. And then he prayed again and the heavens opened. Meaning God can use weak and broken men in very, very powerful ways. Wow, I didn't even mean to talk about any of that. But that was verse 1. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> we got we to gotta get to verse 30, 31. I'm just playing. Verse 13. I love this verse. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So Paul says, it was when you accepted Christ and when the Holy Spirit filled your heart, you became part of a family. I love what Mike said a few weeks ago. The largest living organism in the earth. You know, there's this group of Aspen, and I don't know where they are. They're, they're somewhere in America. I forget. But it's called the Pando, Pandu Aspen Grove, something like that. And... Uh, it's acres and acres of aspen, but they're all connected. And they say it's the largest like living organism or whatever plant in the earth. And it's just acres and acres of aspen, but under the surface they're all connected. And I like to think of that as the body of Christ. You just see an individual tree, but under the surface the Spirit's moving and connecting all of us, leading all of us, guiding all of us. We have been baptized into one spirit there's one baptism and then what I love is the second verse or the second part of this and all were made to drink of one spirit there was a time when you weren't able to drink of the spirit but when you gave your heart and your life to the Lord you were recreated refashioned remade your spirit came alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and you were made to drink of that spirit then at salvation and to keep drinking of that spirit this got a hold of me a few weeks ago just this prayer oh I want to drink from your spirit let's go to John chapter 4 this is what Jesus gives the lady at the well it says this Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God now I feel like there are two things Jesus is talking about here first it's the gift of God if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. So there's two things Jesus is talking about. One, the gift of God, and who it is that's asking her for a drink, okay? You would say, give me a drink. Or you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So right there, I feel like the gift of God and the living water, they intersect. And it's Jesus giving the gift of God as living water. It says this, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm in the season where I'm like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I don't know how it works, but one of you answer me, I want to drink. I want a drink of that living well. It says in, 
Ephesians chapter 5. I love this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But what does he say right after that? What's our replacement for getting drunk with wine? What's our replacement for the pleasures of the world? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes into worship, addressing one another or singing in the congregation, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think Paul's just like overflowing and he's like, be filled with the Spirit and sing and give thanks as you're being filled with the Spirit. And submit to one another. (laughs) But to me, I have claimed that promise time and time again. Lord, I don't want to be filled with wine. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Give me drink of your Holy Spirit. It says in Psalm 36, 7 through 9. These are just the verses I've been living in the past couple weeks. It says, oh, how precious is your steadfast love, oh God. We just read about that. In Exodus 34, how precious your steadfast love. David's recalling that encounter that Moses had, and he's recalling the steadfast love in his own life. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and look what God does. He gives them drink from the river of his delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Jeremiah talks about God being a fountain of living waters. And this, oh no, we don't have to go to Jeremiah real quick. Let's go back to Psalm 36 if you don't mind. The fountain of life. Jeremiah, we will go there in a second. The fountain of living water. But guys, I I, I think when I look at that throne of God and when I read John 4 and John 7 and Jesus equates the Holy Spirit to living water flowing from Him and then also flowing from us, out of us and becoming a spring of eternal life. And when I read Psalm 36 that with Him is a river of delights and when I look at Revelation 4 and when I look at Daniel 7 it says, and Daniel 21 it says there's a sea of glass before the throne And there's a river coming from the throne. A river of fire and a river of water. I think the Holy Spirit is being freely given and freely poured out to his people in heaven. I think they're standing in the midst of the living water and in the midst of the fire of the Holy Spirit before the seven tongues of fire that are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they are being consumed and filled with the Holy Spirit. We can ask for that drink now. We all get to drink from the Spirit. And I'm asking God in this season, Lord, make me thirsty. Because if with you is a fountain of life, if with you is living waters and rivers of pleasure, if with you is the gift of God that is living water, I want drink of that living water. So make me thirsty so I keep coming back to you. Just because you guys know it's there. Let's go to Jeremiah 2. And we'll just end this part with Jeremiah 2. Now, 
this is God saying it in a negative way to the people of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day. But the positive is also true about this verse. He says, has a God changed, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? And here's the condemnation. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Here's the first one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And here's the second thing they did. And they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Guys, we don't want to commit those two evils. One, we want God to be the fountain of living water that we drink from. In prayer, through the word, in obedience as we serve him, love him, bring in the lost. We want to drink of the fountain of living waters. And the other thing we don't want to do, we don't want to turn from him and try to hew out our own cisterns and try to replace that drink of living water. I pray this prayer. I I come back to this prayer. I come back to that rebuke that Jeremiah gave Jerusalem. And I say, Lord, is there any way I'm, I'm trying to satisfy myself with things that don't really satisfy? Convict me. Give me that sweet conviction. And then after that conviction, give me that sweet empowerment of grace to press in to the fountain of living waters. Amen? How many of you guys have had those seasons where you're really pressing into God and you are so satisfied? I've had a few seasons in my life where you're really pressing into God and everything about your life is, is, satis- is being satisfied. Or you're groaning after, like, you're, you're burdened and you're troubled, but it's after the right things. It's after the lost. It's after the poor. It's after the orphan. It's after the things that are on his heart. And then you just kind of slip out of that sometimes, and you fall into a season of a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of apathy, a little bit of da-da-da-da. I think that's us kind of hewing out for ourselves our own fountains that are broken, that are and the water doesn't satisfy. So, we are made one in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we sustain our walk in the body by, giving, by taking drink of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. It says, oh, April, can you go to 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 16? For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it no less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it no less a part of the body. Now Paul's using statements here that are supposed to be a little ridiculous. You know, if your foot had the gift of communication and the gift of thought, okay, and it just one day decided, nope, not a part of the body. I'm not a hand. I get covered every day. Have you seen and smelled his feet? They're terrible. 
especially when he works out and he forgets to change the gym socks, and so he's always putting on the same gym socks every day. I'm just kidding. I don't do that, but maybe a few times. He's like, life is terrible, and the hand, the hand, oh man, the hand has it all. That ring on the finger, that way everyone sees it. And if the foot just decided, nope, not a part of the body anymore, it would still be a part of my body, and it would give the rest of my body a lot of trouble if it just stopped being a foot, right? I mean, can you imagine if your foot just... Decide, some of you can't imagine you've had that happen. You're like, my foot decided one day to stop being a part of my body. It's ridiculous, though, because it would still be a part of the body. The one thing that the Lord was speaking to me through this was, is this week was there are things as the body of Christ we are not allowed to say about ourselves. There are actual things, there are statements we're not allowed to believe about ourselves, and this is one of them. Many people have this disquieting desire to be something in the body other than what they are. And we've all experienced this, haven't we? Oh man, I've experienced this, especially being in the ministry since I was 18 years old. I've experienced going, ah, I'm not the hand, I'm a foot. And that lie that the enemy wants us to believe of, oh, because you're not the hand, you don't matter. You're not important. You're not a part of the body of Christ. How many of you ever felt that lie? You felt that little whisper. It's called comparison. It's terrible. (laughs) I remember being in my young 20s, learning how to write songs. And I could not write a song and I could not get through it because I would judge it and I would be like oh this isn't as good as that person isn't as good as that person and isn't as good as that person and I was just petrified and like kept in that fear and it was just comparison and then one day I remember I was praying and the Lord said Marcus I don't want you to sound like anyone else. I want you to sound like the way I've made you to sound. And we're going to go on this journey together. And he challenged me. He said, don't listen. Well, first, I, he, he challenged me in my 20s not to listen to any secular music as a songwriter. He's like, just, just listen to worship. Just compare and just worship me with worship music. The second thing he challenged me to do is to Not be so concerned by studying other people's songs, but learn how to write as the Holy Spirit leads me. And I just had to go on this journey, this two-year journey of not listening to a lot of things, only listening to to worship music, kind of going into that wilderness experience that we have to go into. I'm just going to hear the voice of the Lord. And... I got free from comparison and I was able to begin to flow with the Holy Spirit and not worry what everyone was thinking I was sounding like and just sing to the Lord. And I just remember I got free in that moment of just comparison with songwriting. But I've had to get free in many other moments in my life of being a member of the body of Christ from this comparison. I want to challenge you tonight to step in 
to your spiritual gifts, to step in, to be an active member of the body of Christ. Maybe you are, or maybe this is touching something in your heart right now. But do not say to yourself, because I'm not like this person, because I don't have the spiritual gifting of teaching or of prophecy, then I'm not a part of the body. That hurts you, and that hurts all of us. Amen? Be who you are. Diversity within unity. Paul goes on. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? The point is the need for all the members. Otherwise, some function of the body of Christ is missing. We need everyone. If my ears stopped hearing, my body pays a price for that. If my eyes stop seeing, my body pays a price for that. And whose body is paying the price? It's not your body. It's Jesus. <laughs> He's paying the price. He's not getting the glory he deserves in his church. I just want to challenge you. Ask the Lord to shut your ears to that voice of the enemy that brings that comparison. And stay in your lane and run your race before the Lord. Amen? You're going to look like you, and we want you to look like you. But look like you the way the Lord wants you to look like. This isn't about our selfish desires. This is about operating in the Holy Spirit and being a house and a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Now Paul's going to now make his own application. I've made some applications of the body analogy. Paul's going to make his own application in verse 18. He says this. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Oh, this is beautiful. The diversity in God's body is by God's own design. Each member is there by divine placement. You can take this to the Lord. You can take this to the enemy and say, no, I have been made and I've been created. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Take that Psalm 139 and just pray it over yourself. The Lord sees me when I lay down. He sees me when I rise up. He has made me the way he has made me. And then ask the Lord, bring forth the giftings that you have for your glory in my life. Bring them forth. Use me, God. I loved to pray the prayer in my 20s. Use me, Lord. Use me. I want to be used. I was feeling that desire to be used in the kingdom and bring God's glory. That's a holy desire. Use me, Lord. But use me for your glory. Amen? He is the minister of his church. He is the master builder. He arranges everyone. I love, you know, I've been a part of the rock for two years. I love how the Lord has arranged me in his body at the rock in this season. And he's put me here in his body. I love to see some of my other friends. And I love to see when, when God is transitioning people. And he's arranging his body. He's like, oh, there's an eye over here. And this body over here doesn't have an eye. I'm going to get this eye. I'm going to bring it over here. I'm going to place it here. Now start to see. Because they need to see. Amen? We can celebrate God's arranging of his body. We can celebrate it. 
God is not about making us temporarily happy in our callings. He is about making you eternally joyful. He wants you eternally joyful. He wants you serving Him, loving Him, and building and gaining those rewards that are going to be yours in the kingdom of God. He's going to lead you and put you in places where this will be accomplished. Not temporary happiness, but stepping into your calling and eternal joyfulness on the other side. And there's some joyfulness now when you're pursuing the Lord. I think of this verse, uh, this word arranged, and I've, I've said it a few times, but I'm just going to say what I wrote down here. When I think God arranges the body, I think of it in two ways. First, God has made you I have no idea what I wrote here. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me work this out here. Hold on, just for a second. God has made you... Oh, okay, all right, here we go. I'm going to just change this right now. Divine editing, okay? God has made you and me just the way he wants us. You are... And your giftings in the spirit, your personality, your leadership, he has made you like that and he loves it and he wants to bring that forth in his glory. Second, God places us where he needs us for his glory. I think that's huge. God places us where he needs us for his glory. He says again, oh, you're an eye, I need you over here, you guys. One of the, the, the best prayers in the Bible concerning times and seasons and concerning God arranging his body is Psalm 31. There are phrases in Psalm 31. You need to remember to pray Psalm 31 when you're questioning your season. The phrases that come from this are, lead me for your name's sake. That's also found in Psalm 23, but he leads us for his name's sake. But this is David, and he, he, he asks God, God, lead me for your name's sake. And then he says this, my times and my seasons are in your hands. And then he says this, into your hand I commit my spirit. Those three phrases from Psalm 31 have helped me silence the voice of the enemy of one, you're useless, and two, or God doesn't want to use you, and two, you're not where God has need of you or, or, or you're outside of God's will. Now, sometimes that's true, and you need to get back inside of God's will, but I start to pray, Lord, lead me for your name's sake. My times and my seasons are in your hands. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I commit my life to you. I mean, Jesus said that on the cross. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. As he breathes his last breath. What a precious psalm. Okay, verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Now, this is just comical to me. I was just thinking, you know, if you just had like this massive eye up here, you know, and if that's what we were going for, everyone trying to look and be and act like the same thing, that's not attractive, right? <laughs> but the eye set within the face connected to the brain, it, it becomes beautiful. The eyes are some of the most beautiful things on our bodies. Someone's eyes, I mean, they're a beautiful thing. 
But just the eye itself sitting on the table, you're just like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Get me away from that. But the eye becomes beautiful. And this is what Paul's saying. If all were a single member, like, guys, what would the body look like? It'd be a monstrosity. Verse 20. As it is, there are many parts where, let, let's, let's go to verse 20, April, verse 20 and 20, 20 through 21. Oh, that's why it looks weird, because I have verse 20 up there twice. All right, so we're going to read verse 20 twice. We're going to just say, this is, divine, this is the Lord. He wants you to hear this two times. I'm just kidding. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Okay, so we talked about things we can't say about ourselves in the body. Here's something that the Lord does not allow us to say about other members of the body. It's this, I have no need of you. We don't need them. We don't need this ministry. We don't need that ministry. Guys, we need it all. We need everything. There are things we cannot say about ourselves. That is, since I'm not a hand, I'm useless in the body. And I'm not a part of the body. That's delusion. That's the lie of the enemy. This is the lie of the enemy as well. Let's just read it one more time. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, guys, this spirit, it's alive and well (laughs) in the body of Christ. Now, Paul was speaking to one congregation. He was speaking to the Corinthians, and he was telling them, hey, guys, you need all the spiritual giftings. You need everything that everyone is bringing. You're not supposed to focus just on one. You need it all. You need the workings of miracles. You need healings. You need the prophetic. You need the teachers. You need the apostles. I mean, the list goes on and on. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he's going to say, you need the administrators. Oh my gosh, we need the administrators, right? If you have the gift of administration and want to come join the worship team, just come. Come. Let me talk to you after this. I'm just kidding. No, we need the administrators. We need the helping gifts. He just said the help, the helpers. We need those who help. We need it all, guys. We need leaders. And what we can't do in our need is say, this is better than that. And this is more valuable than that. Now, there are times and seasons, again, where the Lord highlights things in ministries. Again, I said it at the beginning. The Lord's highlighting the harvest in this ministry. We're, we're about to point every resource we have into bringing in the 5,000. I love that number. You know why? That's impossible for us to do on our own. Impossible. And what that number that the Lord has given us is going to cause us to do, drive us to our knees and say, Lord, you alone can do this. You do this. You do this. But because that the Lord's highlighting 5,000 souls, guess what gift? It's time to highlight in the rock. Evangelism. And preaching the gospel. And I'm excited about it in this season. But we can't say that means the prayer meeting is not important. Because that's where we get the revelation and get the power and get filled up. And we can't say the word of God and teaching is not important. Why? Because if we did, 
the lost would come in and they would be confused. Who is this God we're serving? And what is this book? And you call it holy and the word of God? No, in the midst of God highlighting evangelism, we still need the teachers. We still need the prophetic. What's the Lord saying in this season about the 5,000? You guys get it. You're mature, but I just, we need it all, right? And we cannot say, and I want to, I want you to hold me accountable, and I want you to hold other people accountable in this church if you hear that talk. Oh, we don't really need that ministry, or that ministry is not important. Let's not be about that. Let's just say, hey, Paul says that we can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And we have to silence this talk about other ministries outside these walls. We cannot say, oh, we, there's no need for that ministry, or there's no need for that ministry. We need to honor, if the Lord's moving and highlighting the prophetic in this ministry out there, we need to go, thank you, God, that you are raising up prophets out of that ministry. This ministry over here, the Lord's, there's awesome Bible teachers coming from it. Thank you, God. This other ministry over here, they have like three things going. They got an apostolic move. They have a teaching move, and they have an evangelism thing. Thank you, God, for that. We bless that. When I've learned to thank God for ministries around me, one, I can receive what the Lord is speaking to, the, to that body way easier because I don't have a chip on my shoulder toward them. When I can just bless them and say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. And I'm going to submit myself to the revelation you're bringing from that other ministry. Amen? I didn't have this in my 20s. I thought it was all about one thing and, and one ministry. And the Lord really had to rebuke me on this. And then some, some older leaders in my life rebuked me on it as well. And that was helpful. <laughs> That's a little prideful. That's not what we're about. We're about blessing those that are pursuing the Lord that aren't a part of our ministry. Amen? Amen. I think of this, this, this one analogy, and then we'll be done. I just want to pray for us afterwards, and we'll be done. But this one analogy, I was, I was thinking of the hand, and I was doing a little research. And what's interesting is that 90 to 95% of all the muscles that control this hand are found within the forearm. And they're connected to the hand by long tendons. But it's really the forearm that moves the hand. It's the forearm that I, I was thinking of the diversity of the hand. Like for a rock climber, you go, man, his hands are strong. And most like professional rock climbers, like they can make a grab with one finger and pull the whole rest of their body up with one finger. I had a good friend and he was a rock climber and he was training and he would just hang by his pinkies, on a door, on, a, on like the seal of a door, and he would just be hanging by his pinkies. It was the most incredible thing to watch. And you think, oh man, those hands are so strong. And what if the hand said to the forearm, oh, I have no need of you, you know? And then all of a sudden, poof, that rock climber would fall. Or think of like a concert pianist, like the dexterity that has to be in those hands to play the way that they play. And if the hands were playing the piano and said, oh, I, I have no need of you forearms, and then it would just stop playing. That's the damage we do in the body of Christ when we say we have no need of you. We're not able to function to the capacity the Lord wants us to function. 
Okay, we're going to end with this. Verses 22 through 25, or 26, let's put that up there. Paul says, oh, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Verse 25 and 26, here's Paul's application of his metaphor. He says this, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's three points in this verse that have just been wrecking me the last couple of weeks. And I've been asking for a greater grace. First, that there would be no division in our body. That the Lord would root out division and in this season bring us together in unity. Not just two services becoming one, but our body truly becoming one. With these two phrases. One, I'm a part of the body if I'm a, no matter what I am. And two, I'm not going to say anything that I have no need for another ministry. I need it all. The other thing that the Lord was highlighting is that the members of the body would have the same care for one another. I've been asking for more care for my brothers and sisters in this church. Lord, put in my heart compassion. Put in my heart care. I want to care for your body the way you as the head are caring for your body. I want your thoughts and your mind and your compassion for your body. I think this is a good season to say, Lord, fill me with compassion. Fill me with care for those around me. If we had more time, I'd kind of go into this. But I just want to invite you into that prayer with me. Let's pray that prayer. Lord, help me to care and help me to see the body for the way you see it. And then the third thing is this. If one member suffers altogether, we all suffer. We need to be a body that recognizes that if someone's suffering emotionally, if someone's suffering mentally, if someone is suffering physically, we all suffer together. Meaning, I was thinking about it like this. Like if I get a splinter in my foot, my whole body really suffers. How many of you have, like, have, have had a real like, thorn in your foot? You know, And you're hopping around, but... My foot can't pull out the thorn. My foot is suffering. You know what my foot needs? It really needs my hand to reach down there and pull it out and enter into that suffering and that healing process with me. I remember this touching me. A good friend of mine, he lost, uh, they were having twins. And uh, he was a good friend of mine at the House of Prayer in Kansas City. They were having twins. And, um, and his twins, they didn't know anything was wrong, and they went in to have them, and we were all really excited. And the twins came out, and, and they only lived for a few days. And, uh, and they had a lot of stuff wrong with them. And, and I remember 
not knowing how to suffer with my friend. Because you know why? This was the lie I was thinking. I don't, know, I don't have any answers for him. I have zero answers for the suffering he's going through. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's awkward. I have no idea. And I remember that keeping me at a distance from him for a few days. And, and then I was actually asking some, uh, I was asking some older leaders in my life, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And then this older gentleman, he said, you don't have to say anything. He doesn't want your answers right now. He doesn't need answers. He needs a friend to suffer with him. He needs a friend to cry with him. He's like, it's not up to you to give all the answers right now. The Lord will do that in time. It's not up to you to correct everything he says in this season of pain. And I remembered a phrase that he said. He said, your friend is going to be suffering, and he's going to say words to the wind, words he doesn't really mean. You just need to be there for him with a tear and an arm around him saying, I'm here for you, bro. I'm praying for you. I love you. He says, the answers will come, and there will be a season for answers. But right now, it's a season to suffer. I was so... Just that revelation, that wisdom gave me grace to come alongside my friend and just cry with him and not have all the answers and go on the journey of getting the answers together. It's, sometimes it's hard to suffer with those that are suffering. That's my own testimony with that. And a lot of the times it's hard to rejoice with those who are being honored. How many of you have, feel that? Someone is honored. Someone is lifted up. Someone is being used. And there's something in our heart that wants to hold back our rejoicing with them. Guys, we need to be a body where there's no division. And when they're suffering, we suffer all together. And when we rejoice, we rejoice all together. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Let me pray for you guys and we'll be done. I'm sorry we went a little long. I'm not sorry that we went long on worship. Worship was amazing. I'm not sorry for that at all. Here we go. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for the truths of 1 Corinthians 12. Lord, I pray these two prayers. One, I pray that you would silence the lie of the enemy and that voice of comparison that keeps us from running our race, that keeps feet from being feet and hands from being hands and eyes from being eyes. Lord, speak to us how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and the spiritual giftings that are rising up within us that we're desiring. Give us grace to pursue those in this season for your glory. Give us grace to pursue the manifestations of the Spirit as you're leading us, Lord. And Lord, I ask you that there would be no division in this church, that we would be a church that's, that does not say, I have no need of you but we would be a church that is unified and we would have your thoughts and your mind about the different ministries represented at the rock. Give us your thoughts and your mind and let us be champions for one another. And if we suffer, teach us how to suffer together. Let us know that all the body is suffering right now, so we need healing in that part. And if we rejoice, I pray in this season, teach us how to rejoice together. We love you, Lord. And we worship you. Amen and amen.